Walgreens, welcome to whatever's left of the dividing line. We are having uh, tremendous difficulties today. We have already recorded half an hour's worth of programming that went off into nowhere. It just doesn't exist anywhere anymore. And it was great. It was some. It was some of the, my best work. Uh, it honestly was. I will probably never get back to that level again. That's just. Dollar is doing, and to be honest with you, part of what I said I can't repeat because in the time that I've d- been doing it, the person I was talking about has blocked me or blocked their t- their tweets, and so I can't read their stuff anymore. So honestly, I I literally cannot repeat uh, what we had been d- doing. I'll have to just uh, abbreviate the discussion um, and just hope that this gets recorded because if this all of a sudden freezes up again, I don't have anything on the screen, but it's, uh, if this freezes up again, I, I'm not sure I would be able to try again. Uh, just sort of like, ah, forget it. We're not going to get it done today and and give up on it. And I've got tomorrow, um, I'm interestingly enough, I'm going to be from home. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a um, church history class for a church in Frankfurt, Germany uh, in the morning. And then early afternoon, recording something for a conference that I was supposed to be at, I think next month, um, or maybe it might have been this month. Maybe it was right now. Come to think of it, yeah, I think I think right now I was supposed to be in uh, in Australia. And uh, I, right now, the way the world looks and the things going on in Australia, I'm not I'm not sure I'll ever be in Australia again. That's sad. It really is. It, it, it it's it's sad to contemplate that. At the same time, I just go well. I certainly got to visit a lot of places in my life already. My my mom never got to leave the U.S. She may have gone to Canada once <laughs> to see the Niagara Falls or something like that, but she never got to really leave the United States. Didn't even see all fifty states. So I've seen a whole lot more than she did. So I I can take you know some solace in that, I suppose. But. Um, Anyway, so we've been we've been fighting it, and uh, it's it's not actually our connection. It's not actually uh, Cox Communications. It's uh, it's YouTube itself, which makes you wonder. To be perfectly honest with you, what's uh, what's going on there? Um, but um, so let me just briefly uh, mention what I spent fifteen minutes on. I. Um, had an encounter with a transgender woman. That's the terminology he uses of himself uh, on YouTube, not on YouTube, on uh, Twitter. I had posted about how the American experiment with liberty, uh, based upon um, a recognition of the foundational elements of the Christian worldview and things like that, how that was a, a great blessing that we had had. And, and this individual responded by saying, well, it was, yeah, it was great for white married men, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I, well, I didn't say I'm sorry. I'm going to stop saying I'm sorry. No, I do not accept this uh, historically perverse destruction of the narrative concerning the United States of America. The reality is there is no nation on earth that has raised more people out of poverty around the world than the United States has. There's no nation on earth that has freed more people from communist tyranny, from fascist tyranny, uh, than the United States has. Uh, there is no nation that has fed more people, kept more people alive, increased the um, uh, living standard for people around the world than the United States has. That's just a fact. You can... You can it let our economy crash, and let's see what happens to the rest of the world. It's already happening right now. 
our economy has crashed due to the Great Panic and our own stupidity in how we handled it. Um, and there are people hurting and starving around the world as a result already. So I respond to this person, and after the second response, I clicked on the name. Because you know how Twitter is. The little, little avatar is so small um, that you, know, you sort of look at it. I mean, my avatar is me and uh, the other, my three other pastors from, from Apologia. So you got to click on that to see anything. You just see three guys standing there. Can't really tell who, almost can't tell who's who. Well, except for me, I'm the short one. Um, but uh, I had just thought I was talking to someone named Nicole or something like that. And then when I clicked on the picture and looked at the thing, then I realized I was talking to a guy who identifies as a trans woman who is actually, once I followed some links... An army vet served in Iraq, uh, raised an inter- inter- independent fundamentalist Baptist. Natalie. Natalie. Yeah, Natalie. Um, the, the reason I can't read you these things anymore is in since I started talking about this on the program, that person has protected their tweets or blocked me. One of the two. I, it just it doesn't show up in my feed anymore. It, it all went bye-bye. And I, I had not screenshotted it. At least I don't think I screenshotted it. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. So um, there you go. And this person was encouraging. The reason, I think the reason that I saw this is that I do follow this one um, young woman who identifies as a lesbian uh, that was a Reformed Baptist in her, her younger years. That's probably where the connection was because she retweeted this and was, was likewise encouraging people to report because the person had said that reformed James White followers are showing their transphobic bigotry, which means there were people saying, you're not a woman. Um, and so I, I responded to this person. Um, and let me see if I can uh, see if it's even around here anymore. It doesn't look like it is. Um, I indicated to this man who calls himself a trans woman uh, that I would not show disrespect here it is uh, when this person starts saying let's report all of this I said excuse me but you jumped into one of my comments right can we start there I said I am married to a woman mother of my children grandmother to my grandchildren if I distinguish between her and you does that produce transphobic bigotry, or is that just speaking the truth? And we've come to, come to a day where, depending on the outcome of the election in November, if the Equality Act is passed, it will lit- you will literally not have the freedom of speech in the United States to differentiate between the woman you've been married to for 38 years, with whom you had children and you have grandchildren, and a guy dressed up like a woman who demands you call her a woman too. That is perverse. That is a level of immorality that will not stand. And I won't do it. I refuse to do it. And no man who's been married to the same woman for almost 40 years would ever do, this, do it either. Not if, you, not if you've got the slightest bit of backbone or anything else. Or anything else. This is not a matter of being gracious. It is not gracious 
to pervert God's created order. That's not graciousness. That's not loving. These people are destroying themselves. They're filling their bodies with noxious chemicals. Who knows what those hormones do? Well, we do know. We just can't talk about it. They're mutilating their bodies and filling their, their, their bloodstreams with hormones. There is a reason why the suicide level is as high as it is. These people are destroying themselves, and we are being told, sit back and celebrate. Sit back and celebrate. That is immoral. That is evil to its core. Self-destructive. And then I said, and if I repeat, and remember, this is a person who calls himself a transgender Christian woman. And so I said, if I repeat the words of Jesus about God as creator making us male and female from the beginning and his basing his teaching on that reality, does that make me a transphobic bigot or you a Christophobe? I don't ask people to report you. Why do you seek to silence? And that's, that's, that's what they do seek to do. Because we are repeating what their conscience says to them every day. Their life is a life of trying to silence that conscience. And they can't silence it, so they try to silence us. That's, that's the essence of it. But for someone to call themselves a Christian, and then seek to silence someone who repeats Jesus' own teaching, and in fact, he responded by, by criticizing the binary thinking in my response. I said, yeah, Jesus' teaching is binary because he as creator created the gender binary and said it was good. And said it was good. And if we get kicked off of social media for simply repeating what Jesus said, all of you have been sitting around going, oh, Christians aren't being persecuted. You, Jed, you all are just making stuff up. When are you going to wake up and realize that you're going to be next? Now, you may just compromise so much that they won't even bother with you. You may never, you may never say anything that would offend them. But the reality is, if you dare preach anything even approaching um, the context of the gospel, you will be silenced by these people. Because that's what totalitarians do. They control thought and they control speech. Control expression. They want complete obeisance to their worldview. And um, it's coming. It's coming. Um, so uh, we had that going on, uh, which was uh, which was interesting. Um, and then <laughs> I was I had just I, I realized at this point that we had lost our our stream. I sort of got a bit uh, distracted, uh, but I started to, I was starting to talk about Daryl Harrelson Daryl Harrison's um, messing up the program because he linked to a new book from Lifeway called The Word According to Gen Z. Now, it's available as an ebook as well as a printed edition, so I got the uh, ebook. And uh, so I, as I've said many times, I buy the bad books so you don't have to. Now, look, I wrote two youth books years ago, co-authored them with a guy named Kevin Johnson, and they were really good. And they were fun, and they used youthy language and the titles were youthy. Uh, what's with the dudes at the door and what's with the mutant in the microscope? But we still used English. We actually 
communicated in English. And the one was a book on cults and isms. And so we, we talked about solo scriptura and the Trinity and stuff like that. And, but we did it at a junior high level. And then what's in the, in the microscope was basically an introduction to intelligent design creation uh, for young people. I'm really bummed they were not kept in print very long. They did all right. I mean, in fact, one of them won a, uh, a silver award or something uh, that year. Uh, so, uh, but they weren't kept in print very long. I just don't think they keep youth books. I don't think youth books last very long for anybody. They're sort of a one season thing. But uh, anyway, so I, I get communicating with kids. But Gen Z, this is, this is more shooting for an older audience of people who just simply won't grow up. That's, that's the problem with what we're dealing with here, is the next generation refuses to grow up, refuses to take responsibility, refuses to see how they stand in the, in the line of generations that have come before them, how they are, they are being entrusted with what has been built for them and given to them and fought for for them and sacrificed for them. And they're just absolutely entitled babies. I mean, that, just, just watch the interviews on the street. They're supposed to get free this and free that and free this and free that. And everyone's just supposed to give all their money to them. And they don't have, they should never have to work a day in their life. They're Karl Marx all over again. And they are. That's what Marx was like. He was a freeloader. Never worked a meaningful day in his life. Lived off the money of his family and his friends. I mean, just, there's no reason to respect someone like that. There never has been. There never will be. Never will be. So anyway, I get the motivation, but this is just a disaster. This is just a disaster. So this was, this was the verse... So what we're going to do, I've read some of them, so I know what the verse is, but then we're, when we, once we get past the ones that I'm reading, um, I don't know what the verse is, so maybe I can guess along with you. Um, but <laughs> this first one was the one that Daryl posted. And here's what, it, here's what it says. And for some reason, they use Fraktur font for this. I have no idea. Fraktur is an old German font, and it's very hard to read. But anyway. Since day uno... There was Cap G. Big J was chilling with Cap G, and Big J was Cap G. Recognize it? Yeah, it's supposed to be John 1 1. In the beginning is the word, and words with God, and word was God. Unfortunately, this rendering is heretical. Very heretical. Um, because Cap G is supposed to be God, I suppose. Is that Captain G? Um, or Cap as in capital? I don't know. I speak English. And I'm not going to stop speaking English. We know who Big J is and Cap G, but when you say, and Big J was Cap G, that's just not the case. So utilizing this kind of non-language, you can't properly express what is actually there. And this is a modalistic rendering. It's heretical. But that's John 1.1. All right. So uh, with the rest of these, See if you can figure out what it is. Just let, let me read it to you. Ready? Cap G's words are one hundo. Straight up slicing and dicing and knowing it all. Cap G's words are one hundo. Straight up slicing and dicing and knowing it all. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It must be a shorter translation. <laughs> 
than any, any English translation would be because there's a lot of stuff missing there. Uh, okay, this one everybody knows because you memorized it in, uh, in, during VBS. I don't think there's anybody who grew up in a Baptist church who did not memorize this verse during vacation Bible school. It's just, just required. I never went to Awana. I don't think we were ever in a church that had Awana, but uh, I bet you got it in Awana, too. All right. I got your holy scripts padlocked in my chest thumper. I got your holy scripts padlocked in my chest thumper. Oh, Rich had gotten this one back on the first run, anyways. It's, now it's just easy, right? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might, sin, might not sin against you. Psalm 1911. Psalm 1911. You'll never get this one. I I actually posted this one on Twitter about an hour ago. Not swerved by these scripts, because Cap G be given that get-out-of-jail-free card to the whole fam. Not swerved by these scripts, because Cap G be given that get-out-of-jail-free card to the whole fam. It's Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay. <laughs> uh, ready? All right. Take that noggin guard of Savvy's and that big old knife of Cap G's words. Take that noggin guard of Savvy's and that big old knife of Cap G's words. Ephesians 6.17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay. <clears throat> this is as far as I got before, so we're almost caught up to where we had already done before. Maybe this is what's killing the stream. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe even the internet is just going... <laughs> We're still holding on here. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk. Don't say anything about it. We got green lights. We got green lights. Everybody, everybody, just hold your breath. Ah. You ready? Moo moo food goes bye bye, and pedal pads take an L, but Cap G's scripts are perm. <laughs> you you can't start laughing in there. I can't get through it. Moo Moo food goes bye-bye, and pedal pads take an L, but Cap G's scripts are perm. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Which is one of the texts that I use when signing books, and so this is really bothering me. Okay, now now we're the ones I have not seen what what these are. So I'm going to be guessing along with you. Stash them in the real talk because your script is the real talk. Stash them in the real talk because your script is the real talk. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Stash them in the real talk. So I guess stash is sanctify. I, I, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Cap G being the real one took us zombies 
and high key gave the real game. Cap G being the real one took us zombies and high key gave the real game. I don't know. I don't know. But God, being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Dudes can't make it on Sammy Blankies alone. Gotta feast on that real talk from Cap G. Okay, all right, I get it. Dudes can't make it on Sammy Blankies alone. Gotta feast on that real talk from Cap G. Do you, do, did you get it? Because I, I actually got that. Yeah. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, so Sammy Blankies, must, Blankies alone must be Sammy Blankies? I know. No, we are, we are, yeah, we're over 30 years out on this one. Um, yeah. You're thinking pancakes? Yeah. Okay. Your script is lit. Your script is lit. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your script is lit. <laughs> there are there are only thirty. We've done twenty. Uh, let's just let's just just do a couple others. Oh wow! Okay, suit up. Don't play the bench, or you're straight up playing yourself. Suit up. Don't play the bench, or you're straight up playing yourself. Nope. James one twenty two. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Playing yourself is deceiving yourself. So at least I... I want to hear John 11.35. <laughs> yeah. Well, it isn't a complete translation. There are only 30 of them so far. No. And let's hope that you know. Oh, okay. Oh. Wow. <laughs> okay. Ready? Now now honestly, it was last summer that I was coming home I was coming home from Utah last or from Colorado last summer. Or going up one of the two. When I was introduced to Marco Polo, the app, you know, where you can do video chat type stuff. My, I haven't used it in months, but it was it was big for three weeks and then stopped. Um, so so here we go. This is how new this is. I Marco Poloed Cap G, and he didn't leave me on read, and snatched up all my scaries. We'll try it again. I Marco Poloed Cap G, and he didn't leave me on read and snatched up all my scaries. I wonder if it's leave me on red. Like when your message has been read but not responded to. I bet you, I'll bet you that's so I Marco Poloed Cap G and he didn't leave me on red and snatched 
up all my scaries. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. All my fears. Scaries. I haven't seen anything about swiping left or swiping right yet. No. No. Oh, wait a minute. That's the same one. It just looked very different. Okay. Um, okay, I'll just do this one. We'll be done. I, I'd have, I've got some, too much else to do, but this this is almost like watching a car accident. Oh. Huh. Oh, okay. So they did the same one for a few days and talked about different aspects of it. Okay. Okay, here we go. Don't flex on me, sus dude. If I slip, I don't dip. When life goes on dark mode, Cap G keeps it keeps it lit. Don't flex on me, sus dude. If I slip, I don't dip. When life goes on dark mode, Cap G keeps it lit. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, this is from your Southern Baptist publication arm called Lifeway. The word according to Gen Z. I I will just leave um I'll just leave that there. Uh, <laughs> I've only gotten one uh I've only gotten one comment on 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 YouTube so far. That's CDS, Silly Brit, is, is out there watching, but um, <laughs> okay, no, there's someone. Yes, okay, a few things are better than Dr. Oakley 689 reading the Gen Z translation. <laughs> I want to hear that with Uncle Jimmy. With Uncle Jimmy? Yes. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh yeah, okay, so uh, there's the, the Gen Z stuff. Uh, all right, now I have a ton of other stuff here. Bunches and bunches of screen caps. Um, but I'm not sure what order to put them in. Uh, let's, let's talk a little about Kyle J. Howard, shall we? Um, Kyle J. Howard blocked me long, long ago. Remember, Kyle J. Howard is the... I think master's grad from Southern, who uh, is a uh, racial trauma counselor, uh, who said that uh, he uh, would be afraid to be in a room alone with me. So this is, he he was a safest before safism was was the cult religion of the day. Um, you know, you need a safe space type thing. And so I don't see his stuff, because like I said, I'm blocked, but people will repost things, and uh, so that's how I get to see it. And uh, so I think yesterday or day before yesterday, he posted this, and I think this is relevant to a lot of people right now, because the Jonathan Lehman clip that's floating around where he's talking with Mark Dever, well, Mark Dever doesn't say anything in the clip, but Lehman's basically explaining why a Christian might vote for a Democrat. Um, 
today. Well, here, here, here you go. Here's Kyle J. Howard. If merely being anti-abortion is your faith-informed political conviction and party criteria and not seeking to promote comprehensive human flourishing through socioeconomic policies, your faith is likely guided more by republicanism and self-righteousness than biblical revelation. So this is, this is what you're hearing today from what used to be people in conservative evangelical denominations. We expect this from the left. We expect this from Union Theological Seminary and anybody who would be associated with Union Theological Seminary. And all, all the PCUSA uh, folks and you just, just go down the line of all the liberal denominations. That's, that's what you expect. But now you have it here in this context, fully understandable given Kyle J. Howard, but just look at who Kyle J. Howard is hanging out with, Beth Moore and the others, and you get an idea of what's, what's going on here. And I simply want to ask a question. It was a question that I think I asked of Lehman. I don't think that I got an answer to, or at least haven't seen it. Things disappear sometimes in, in the Twitterverse. Well, let's put it this way. Um, I saw, actually, I did. I, 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 and this was really recently. Uh, so I'm wondering if it's still if it's still here, because I wrote to Tim Keller was, was posting a bunch of stuff today. Did I, did y'all see that? Uh, actually someone else, I think started searching through his posts for the word Marx and Marxism and was coming up with some pretty interesting stuff. He said over the years about Marx and Marxism. Um, but one of the things he quoted from Calvin. Now, Tim Keller's a smart man. He knows church history. And one of the things I, I mentioned was, I'm sorry, but Tim Keller does know Calvin lived in a sacral society, right? So one's neighbor was ostensibly, anyway, a fellow Christian, part of the same church, right? That sort of changes things, right? Yes, it does. 2020 is still 2020-ing. Uh, we now have a verb called 2020-ing. Um, my my point was that I'm seeing a lot of people in regards to social justice issues, in regards to the onset of socialism, in regards to churches bowing the knee to Caesar and doing what Caesar says to do, uh, in regards to sphere sovereignty, which, by the way, don't even try to get near Calvin on sphere sovereignty. He's going he's gonna to burn you at the stake if you try to get near him on the issue of sphere sovereignty. That's a whole other issue. But uh, Keller quoted from uh, uh, Calvin. Um, and I'm, I'm reading Calvin, and I'm going, yeah, okay, he's talking about sharing your goods and everything else. And this is being attached to leftist liberalism, Marxism, socialism, theft via the government taking your private property and distributing it to other people. And I'm going, you, you don't see the difference in the context here? Calvin's in Geneva. Calvin is in a theocracy, literally. If you're a citizen of Geneva, you're a member of the church. You are a self-professing Christian. 
which is why heresy could carry the death penalty. Because everybody's a Christian. And so it's a sacral society. There's, there, there, is no, there is no meaningful distinction between state and church. There's a recognition of the different offices and stuff, but there is no separation of church and state. There is intimate connection between the two. But everybody's a Christian. And so I'm sitting here going, well, okay, I, I know what Calvin's talking about, but that doesn't transfer to the situation we're in today. We're, we're not in a sacral, we're not in a, this isn't Geneva. That, that, that system didn't last all that long. Uh, and in fact, look at what has taken its place in Switzerland today. It's a thoroughly secularized society. Uh, but this type of stuff was going on. And at one part, at one point, I... I thought that I wrote to um, Jonathan Lehman because Lehman had... Ah, no, it was Jonathan Lehman. It was Ed Stetzer. Here it is. Here it is. Bing, 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 bing. Uh, six hours ago. Hey, I've had lunch since, over the past six hours, so that explains why I would forget who I was writing to. Ed Stetzer uh, had said, the Christian's role is not uncritical partisanship on some particular team. It is to be like an umpire calling balls and strikes, to speak prophetically in the moment. That means the Democratic convention, Republican convention, and in life, when you cannot critique, you've become co-opted. Now, obviously, I would agree. I have said on this program, in in another decade, in another century, uh, four years ago, I did not vote for Donald Trump. Okay? I wanted almost, not all, but I wanted almost anybody in the Republican field other than Donald Trump. Um, and I have criticized Donald Trump, and I, I think the man's an egomaniac, and he says insane things, and, and he just, I, his Twitter account should be closed by himself, um, I know he uses it to, to just rip. He, he does brilliant political things to the Democrats. It is fun to watch, but the, the immaturity and the egomania is horrible, but Stetzer's, uh, Stetzer's tweet and Kyle J. Howard's tweet do the same thing. They are basically taking the worldviews being presented in the United States election and making them equal with one another. It's just you pick a little bit here, you pick a little bit there, you pick... You know, they're about the same, but they pick a little here. That's not the case anymore. That may have been the case in 1980. I, I could get it in 1980. Not in 2020. Could we, could we just for a second think... Okay, here, here's what I wrote to Stetzer. We should be truly concerned when people in positions of authority, such as Ed Stetzer, can think the team that is Marxist, anti-Christian, pro-homosexual, pro-transgender, pro-equality act, pro-abortion, pro-infanticide, pro-euthanasia, is even worthy to be on the field, let alone calling balls and strikes. Think about it. 
We are talking about massive worldview issues. We are talking about a completely different view of humanity. Humanity's future, humanity's purpose, humanity's function. And what gives basic rights. Massively so. I mean, the Democrats had a uh, LGBTQRSTUBWXYZ group thing as part of their convention. And one of the speakers, I tried to write it down, but I, I actually tried looking the person up. But this speaker was a something Vietnamese transgender mermaid king queen. Yeah. It, transgender mermaid king queen and this person i don't know what gender they actually are in the real world and if you can figure out what a mermaid king queen is i'm not sure i want to be in the world you're in anyways to be perfectly honest with you i think that's a world that's sort of scary um but this person was sitting there going we just we need to be able to imagine a world without police and a world, and just the pure fantasy, utter fantasy. And the point is, these people live in a fantasy world, and so they're saying, let's just all fantasize together. And so we'll defund the police. <laughs> and so I do wonder what this transgender mermaid king queen. Is someone, please someone tell me that that's not a, a valid option on Facebook when you sign up. I, I, I just, I, please, I don't even want to think about it. But, but what's going to happen to this transgender mermaid king queen when three guys decide to break into this person's home in the middle of the night, beat the snot out of them, and steal everything they own? Because that's not a part of their fantasy world, but that's a part of the real world. That happens in the real world. It's happening a lot more in the real world. Violent crime, murder, shooting, gone crazy. Why? Because of the left. Because the left is tearing the nation apart, seeking to tear the nation apart. They don't care how many people die. They do not care, and they do not care what color the people are, or what color skin they have, or how much money they had. This is a power grab par excellence. They don't care. So you're telling me that when we have that kind of worldview difference, because there is nobody, I, I just missed getting to vote for Ronald Reagan for president. You did, because you're a little bit older than I am. I missed it by uh, one month and like 13 days or something. One month, somewhere around one month, 13 days, something like that. Uh, voting for him the first time. I voted for him the second time, but I didn't vote get, get to vote for him the first time. I would have. Last great president we had, in my opinion. Um, last great president we had. Nobody. Now I remember. I remember. I was in this honors class. We had to get up really early. I drove to school at that point, and and I had the class started. I think at seven ten. So in high school, you know, uh, and I'm working. So yeah. 
And I remember Lori Daniels was her name, an atheist leftist girl in the same class. And she and I would just go at it. There is no way that Lori Daniels in 1980 could have understood defund the police coming from a transgender mermaid king-queen. Okay? Not even, no. No categories to even begin to understand it. Something has radically changed. This isn't balls and strikes anymore, Ed. This is a radically anti-Christian. Ed, have you read the Equality Act? Have you thought through what the Equality Act is going to do to Wheaton College, to Moody Church, to Moody Bible Institute, to every church and institution that names the name of Christ in the United States? It is an anti-Christian screed. And you're saying it's a matter of balls and strikes? What are you talking about? You're talking about the end of religious liberty in the United States. Period. End of discussion. No one can question that. Just read it. Read it with an open heart and an open mind. In light of history. What's going on right now? So, who's become co-opted, Ed? You've become co-opted. You are the one who has been co-opted. You've been co-opted by those who are going to use your open-mindedness to shut you up. To shut you up. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. Let's see. Do I have any more of these here? Um, No. All right. Let me get into a bunch of trouble here, and then we're going to finish off. Are we still still going? We're still going. Uh, We're going to finish off uh, with... Uh, Leighton Flowers, Soteriology 101, and getting a piece of cake. It makes sense. We've got choice meats, and now Leighton is saying, I misrepresented him. Remember when we did choice meats? I've been thinking about looking up the program. We played him. We played his own words. We let him define for himself what he was saying. And, of course, now, oh, it's not what I meant. You're misrepresenting me. And then we had one, and I think I did save it. I wonder if I can find it real quick. Um, a one-minute thingamabobbywobber. Thingamabobbywobber. That, I think I came from my youth, too. And uh, I'm surprised not more people have picked up on thingamabobbywobber. Leighton eats cake. <laughs> yeah. Um, D, 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 D. There's Romans 9. No, I, I, I wonder what I did with that. I, I bet I downloaded it on my home unit. Um, he did a, uh, someone posted on Twitter a brief comment that he made that I always misrepresent provisions. I can't accurately represent provision. I can't accurately tell you that what the provisionists are saying is that God in the gospel, provides everything that is needed so that solely by the presentation of the gospel, which is a gracious proclamation, mankind, who has the ability to respond, must have the ability to respond for responsibility to be a meaningful word, is able to choose to accept or reject the gracious offer that's in the gospel without the necessity of prevenient grace and the change of their spiritual nature. That is what you've taught. That's what you've been teaching for years, and I just accurately represented it. So why, Leighton, can you never 
never represent Calvinism correctly when you claim to have been a Calvinist. I've never been a provisionist. But he does a minute saying, never ever actually accurately represents Calvinism. Well, we have a, a new uh, allegory from Leighton Flowers that we're going to be looking at. It's the John 644 allegory. I'll just give it to you so you, you have an idea, and then we'll, we'll get to it. Because I've got to get into a bunch of trouble first before I do that. So, and this one he just threw out there. So this, this is what Leighton does. This is what a lot of people do. Leighton does, isn't the only one that does that. We all do it. I've done it. Okay? But he does it a lot. Because he just throws this out here. If a girl says to a Calvinist, no one can come to my party unless my dad invites them. And I will give them a piece of cake. Does the Calvinist conclude everyone invited to the party will necessarily come? I'm asking for a friend. Okay? So, what happened was, I, I responded and I said, given the sentence structure, surely you are attempting to parallel, pa- parallel. And then I gave the Greek of John 6.44. Yes? But I didn't get an answer back for a long time. And so I, I said, this is, this is a serious question. And I still wasn't getting an answer back, but I did eventually. So we're going to look at that. Um, real quickly, before the stuff's getting me into a lot of trouble, good old R. Scott Clark at Westminster Seminary, um, who has done a lot of really great stuff. You know, he's, he's written wonderful stuff. But he's primarily known for thinking that he has the capacity and ability to define reformed in such a way as to exclude everybody else doesn't look like him. And he obviously doesn't like what Grace Community Church is doing. I mentioned this, I think, last week. Didn't I, I seem to remember going, I sort of assumed that R. Scott Clark would be a little bit more of a Caesar stay out of our face, but he, I guess he's a mask up, hide in the closet guy. Um, and so I've seen a lot. Have you seen? I didn't have to go looking for it. Have you seen the stuff that people are posting about John MacArthur? Wow. You haven't? Oh, goodness. <laughs> then you ain't been looking. Yeah, well, you ain't been looking. You try to avoid Twitter like COVID-19. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd rather use, I'd like, I avoid Twitter like the plague, because the plague is significantly more worrisome than COVID-19 is. Um, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I posted the, uh, the Australian uh, numbers uh, yesterday. And as the guy pointed out, if you're under 70, you have a 99.995% chance of surviving COVID-19. And yet... You've got stormtroopers tackling housewives in the out of doors, forcibly masking them, uh, which is just so stupid on every level that it's not even. Even you maskers, you have to admit that once you're outside, that is just absurd on a level that is beyond belief. But it's happening. But it's happening. Anyway, um, so R. Scott Clark, so so many people going after Johnny Mac, just. Everybody who has always had some kind of animosity toward him, for whatever reason, are all crawling out of the woodwork 
uh, to spit at him now. I mean, I saw one guy say they don't make a mask big enough to cover his ego uh, and stuff like that. Just And there's a certain group. There's a certain group that's really, really, really going into that. Um, I won't go into that right now. But R. Scott Clark, who has some associations with that group, said, um, I don't think that John MacArthur's affirmation of sola fide is without difficulties. Is without difficulties. I don't think R. Scott Clark believes that anyone's affirmation of sola scriptura, other than his own, is without difficulties. That seems to be that group's mindset. And then he says, nor should we think that John MacArthur means by sola scriptura what the Reformed churches mean by it. His view of the sufficiency of Scripture is not ours. The relations between GCC and historic Protestantism are tenuous. Tenuous. So remember, this is the same man, John MacArthur, that R.C. Sproul worked with very, very closely, um, who was involved with R.C. Sproul in the response to Roman Catholicism in the late mid-1990s mid uh, with the Evangelicals and Catholics Together statement and things like that. I am sure, because this is R. Scott Clark, R. Scott Clark can find a difference with well, R. Scott Clark could find a difference with R. Scott Clark. Okay? Uh, that is how tightly he shaves everything. Um, but here is just a... It's just, again, if this is the Reform Club, I don't want in it. Okay? I don't want this attitude. I don't want to be a part of it. Is there room to discuss... Um, how historic dispensationalism could have an impact on church-state relations. Yeah, I think it's important. I am actually seeing that playing out. But you do that with respect. You don't do that by drawing your Genevan robes around you uh, and saying, you're not of us. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that's going on. And look, I am thankful that my church is not in California. I mean... I've got serious problems about how we've handled stuff here. Um, if you look at the if you look at the chart right now, we should be back to pretty much total freedom here because we've done the we've done what everybody else has done. It's what viruses do. It's how viruses act. Um, we've done it, and we should be getting back to business. But of course, we won't because uh, it's politics. It's politics. 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 And uh, so, but. At least there's a border between my state and California. And California, guys, I, I feel for you. And I know that you're struggling. I have seen tremendous amounts of effort being put in to promote various perspectives. Just one word of advice. Um... And, and, and maybe I don't have a, any place because my church didn't close. We didn't close down. We didn't think that it was necessary. We stood on principle. And you can disagree with that, fine. But one thing I'm going to tell you, I don't see, we aren't having the problems that I'm seeing in a lot of other churches. And in my knowledge of the other churches that didn't close down, they're not having the problems either. Sure, there might be some people that are having to talk to, you know, that might think this, think that. But it just seems to me that once P 
people said, okay, we're going to do what the state says, then it's like, so you have to keep doing that as long as the state thinks that you have to keep doing that. So I'm just glad we're, I'm, I'm just glad I'm not having to deal with that. Thanks be the Lord. We're not in California. My word of advice, take it or leave it. Whatever you did in the past, be willing to reevaluate it and go and do it, do what Grace did. At least, you know, when, when Grace came out and said, we're meeting, Phil Johnson, you know, there are a bunch of people saying, well, about time, da, 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 da. And Phil's like, yeah, you were right. We were wrong. And be willing to reevaluate it. Because what's going to happen, in my opinion, is that state, along with a few others, are the, I mean, the West Coast. The, the big one's going to hit. The West Coast is going to break off. And it's going to float over to North Korea and fit in real well. Yeah, just, boom, just hey, this is, this, is, this is what we've been looking for. I like a puzzle piece. It, it, and politically, like a puzzle piece, because that's what these people want. These people are a bunch of communists. And so I don't think it's going to get better. I, I don't see that the masking requirements are ever going to leave. I, I think we're stuck with them forever. Because the logic is, if it saves one life, right? There's lots of diseases. There's flu every year. There, there's all sorts of, I mean, anybody with emphysema is susceptible to probably 150 different bugs. And we've never, ever shut down airlines and forced everybody to, to, to wear face diapers for any of that before. But we will now because we've accepted the logic. We have, we have submitted and so uh, there's going to be forced inoculations and all sorts of stuff going on in the future. And I just don't see. You, you've heard it. Now we're seeing it. Once the government takes power, it doesn't give it back. It doesn't want to give it back. And so there's going to, where do you draw the line? When, where, where, where is that line where you go, you know what? Um, for example, uh, a lot of this, the pro-closing-down literature talks about temporary. How long is temporary? Is five years temporary? In the scheme of church history, it is. But are you willing to shut down for five years? Especially for a virus that's 99.9995% survivable if you're below the age of 70? That the, that the, that the average age of the person that has died of COVID-19 is the average age of a person who dies in the United States. It is 78. That's a fact. You can, you can dispute the fact. You can jump up and down and hold your breath. And, and, and we won't know you're holding your breath because you're wearing a mask. So we can't tell if you're holding your breath until you pass out. You can do all that stuff. doesn't matter. Those are the facts. So is that a good enough reason to stop ministry in the church for five years? Two years? One year? How long? What is temporary? What is temporary? This is the question. And there has to be a willingness to think, think it through. And to change one's position. Change one's position. Think about it. All right. Okay. So let's get into a bunch of trouble here. Um, yesterday, was it yesterday? Yesterday, day before yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I was made aware 
uh, of one video, and then this morning I was made aware of a second video. And the first video was involving David Wood and two individuals I do not know, uh, evidently former Muslims, I think, was very lengthy. I listened to some parts at the beginning, but I was looking for a specific part because a specific part had been sent to me. And uh, to make a long story short, evidently there is some really bad behavior going on between Christians and Muslims, and specifically a Muslim by the name of Muhammad Hijab. Now, what was it, two years ago? About two years ago-ish. David Wood and Muhammad Hijab debated in person. And Muhammad Hijab was very uh, aggressive. Very, very aggressive. Going into a lot of stuff that just didn't belong in a debate was side issues. Very, very aggressive. Brought me up in the course of that because maybe it wasn't two years ago because that was within, I think it was just within a few months. Now I'm thinking about it of the Islamicize me, uh, video series that I had publicly condemned. I said, this is not how you do it. This is not, this is fundamentally destructive of the message we are seeking to bring to the Muslim people. Um, this, this does not communicate to them a self-sacrificial love, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we laid those things out. And, and at the time, I, I commented that when, when David responded, it did not sound like he'd even listened to what I had said. He was getting secondhand reports. Whatever. Um, so here is a video. And evidently what has happened is Muhammad Hijab and David Wood and the people in that group are going back and forth and lobbying bombs at each other in social media. I suppose I shouldn't use that terminology uh, in that context. But going after each other and behaving very poorly. And at the point in the video, it my understanding is that they showed Muhammad Hijab posting a picture of David Wood and his wife online and saying, here's David Wood's wife between two men. Well, it was David, and they're on a plane. She's in the middle seat. <laughs> okay, that was really dumb. <laughs> it's like, really? Um, but you're, you're bringing in family, okay? Foul all the way, okay? Um, and I, I think, I think some folks in the Muslim community, some of the more level heads have tried to say to Muhammad Hijab and to the people that are participating with him, um, this is this is not what this no, you don't do it that way. You don't you don't bring people's families in and, and stuff like that. So I would be upset if someone was pulling a stunt like that and going after my wife or my daughter, son, or my grandkids. Okay, I get it. But what David did was he he lost his lost his mind. He, he lost his cool, and he took a Quran 
Did you see any of this? Oh, <laughs> yes. Got to see the look on Rich's face. I better take a drink here before. I... This is apple cider, by the way. Someone actually asked what's in here, right? Okay. Oh, it's the apple cider that you get in the food aisle at Target. It's a specific one, and I haven't found the others that taste as good. With the mother, with stir, either lemon or orange flavoring. It's a stevia thing, no sugar. And no, no, the, it's, it's a natural one instead of those artificial stuff that kills you. And then um, club soda. So no, no sweeteners. Uh, and in fact, <laughs> I was starting to feel a little guilty for all the club soda bottles I was going through. No, dude, what you're drinking right now has so many things that are killing brain cells and everything in your gut that it's... It has, it. It has the word natural on it. Well... I hope I hope you're not planning on buying any property anytime soon. Uh, anyway, um, I just got tired of buying club soda, and so I got one of those uh, soda stream things where you just got a CO2 bottle and you just and it works great and it tastes great, wonderful. Not burning through bottles anymore. Why? Really quickly. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt myself here. Us older folks, there's something in apple cider vinegar that helps our bodies let go of fat. And I'm doing, I'm doing this intermittent fasting thing. Uh, yesterday morning, I ran a 10K while fasting. Um, really helps burn the fat. You're, you're not taking any food in, so you've you got to find your energy someplace. This morning, I did a two-mile run as fast as I could, race pace, also while fasting. And so I drink this because I'm encouraging my body to get rid of fat, and so this just sort of helps it to do it. So there you go. And it does taste good. I really, I really have come to like it. My son detests apple cider vinegar, thinks it's the worst stuff on the planet. But um, I like fizzy stuff. And so I, I don't want the sugar in regular pops and sodas. And the diet stuff will kill you. The diet stuff destroys all the good bacteria in your gut. And it's bad for you. That's what you're drinking, right? Yep, that's what he's drinking. <laughs> Some people just won't give up their traditions. Anyway, back to the uh, David Wood story. So I get why he's upset, but he lost it. And he takes a Quran, and he tears a page out of it, and eats it. Just stuffs it in his mouth, and eats it. So you, you want to escalate Muhammad Hijab? Here. And then he starts talking about getting the domain name to, to put it as we could express it for urinating on the Quran and getting people to post videos of themselves urinating on the Quran so I'm just like okay um, look do we really have to sit here and go, that was extremely unwise. This is not how you engage in a in apologetics with uh, showing uh, respect either for God's truth. You don't show respect for God's truth by, by couching it within that context. And I'm sorry, I know you guys who sit out there and go, yeah, but I'm like the prophet Elijah. No, you're not. Look at your heart. Your heart's black. You know it. Stop it. Quit deceiving yourself. You're no prophet. 
Quit, quit pretending like you can do that kind of stuff. They are holy men. You know your heart. Stop it. You're supposed to do it with gentleness and reverence. Reverence first for God and his truth, and then respect and reverence for the persons that you're attempting to reach. So it is insanity to burn Qurans, urinate on Qurans, eat Qurans, just as it's insanity to burn the Book of Mormon or urinate on the Book of Mormon or eat the Book of Mormon or anything else, the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and everything else. I don't believe any of these things are Scripture. I do not believe the Quran is Scripture. But I demonstrate that by demonstrating its inconsistency with what is Scripture. And I do not believe that if you are seeking to cause people to think truthfully, that this is the mechanism that you use. This shows a fundamental lack of dependence upon the Spirit of God to take the gospel and to make it alive in the hearts of of Muslims or Mormons or anybody else. And so, since it's going around, we're going to be straight up front. I have said many times before, David Wood's a brilliant man. David Wood has a rough past. His conversion video was brilliant. It really was. But, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't think that I am. I've never seen any evidence that David is a churchman. I've never seen any evidence that there is a body of elders who are really involved. I, I didn't see any elders off camera. They're going, yeah, why don't you go, why don't you eat some of the Quran while we're at it? And that's a problem. And it, this is an issue I've addressed with many an apologist for many a decade. There is no office of apologist. If you are not a part of a local church, under the eldership there, or as myself, being an elder, I have fellow elders. I'm not, I'm not the king. I'm not the pope. If I go nuts of, nuts of crazies, I can guarantee you one thing. <laughs> Those three fellow elders are all bigger than me, and they're not afraid of me. They respect me. They've learned a lot from me. But Luke Pearson will sit on my head. And you don't take the bear on. No way. Uh, Luke's got a no-nonsense. So if I, if I start doing something like something stupid and playing footsie with Rome or something like that, I'd wake up, as my mom used to put it, I'd wake up in the middle of next week. Anybody else have a mom that did you ever you? Yeah, that phrase is... You're, I'm going to knock you in the middle of next week. Yep, that was, I guess that was, that was sort of the 50s, 60s thing, I guess, because I heard it a lot. Um, so my comment there, David shouldn't ever have done that. Um, that, that, is, that is not how this would be done. I do not believe the Quran is the word of God. And I do not respect it in the sense of investing it with religious authority, just as... I can't imagine a Muslim investing religious authority in, you know, the writings of David Koresh or something like that. Um, but the point is, I have a greater goal, and I've been wide open with the Muslims. They all know this. Ask them. Ask Shabir Ali or Yusuf Ismail or any of the, of, of the men that I've said. Ask Adnan Rashid. Do they know what my goal is? They all know. Does Yasser Qadi know what my goal is? They all know exactly what I want for them, exactly what I want to see happen for them. 
And so how can there be a consistency between my telling them that I love them and I care for them and I want to serve them and I want to show Jesus to them, I want to proclaim the Lordship of Christ? How can there be a consistency between that and me then urinating on the Quran? There is no consistency. It can't be. And I, I would just encourage David to come out and say, you know what? Shouldn't have done it. Uh, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't be dragging my wife into this. That's true. But I claim to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Therefore, I should have... It's, it's not, well, you did it, so I can do it too. No. That's, that's not for Christians. Second issue in that group. Um, we will be responding, and I've mentioned this on Twitter and Facebook, we will be responding. Do you have a, when did we start? How long have we been going? Over 69 minutes. 69? Okay. Well, that's, oh man, we could be going forever. Um, <laughs> um, we will be responding to the series, because I think it's a series of blog videos being done uh, by Hank Hanegraaff with Francis Chan on the issue of the Eucharist in church history. We will do so for the obvious reason that, well, I have, I keep forgetting to point this out, and this is not the time in the program to do it. I need to do it right at the top of the program. We've started a microblog. It's a sub-blog to the regular blog at AOMN.org because we, we honestly believe that our time in social media is limited. And so we want to get as many people as possible using an RSS feed and following the Theology Matters microblog at aomen.org. And have we put up the... Has, has Chris gotten the uh, thing where we're aggregating other feeds yet? Because he sent me something when I was traveling, and I, I, I was on a phone. I couldn't look at it. See if, see if that's going to be up. We will eventually have... Alpha and Omega will eventually have an aggregate of other people's stuff as well as our own uh, accessible through R- an RSS feed. I know RSS feed is, you know, 2005. Yeah, we need to go back to it because we've given up our own control of what content we can see. Um, now, the, the tech people are determining what you will and will not see on Facebook, Twitter, and everything else. With an RSS feed, you get to choose what you're going to see. Not them. We've got to go back to it. That's just all there is to it. Yes. While you're on that subject, I actually, uh, right after I got onto uh, Parlay, yes. I, I sent them a message saying, you know, what you guys have here and the way you put stuff up is very RSS. Have you thought about, you know, having an RSS aggregator in here that we can select for this ourselves? And they replied to that saying something to the effect that it was in the works. Yeah, I hope so. So that would be neat. Well, yeah, I hope there's an RSS aggregator there and an RSS. Uh, I hope they also make it available through what we're using. Because when I write for the Theology Matters microblog, you'll, you, you see it show up on Twitter automatically. I have to go through one extra step, but it also shows up on Facebook. We can't do that on Parlay. But I'd like to see that added as a possibility in the future to where what I write there is spread out to a bunch of other things. Now, I think those other things are eventually going to be closed off to us, most of them, uh, which is why if you have an RSS feed set up, then you're set. You don't, get to be, you don't have to be censored 
uh, by big tech because big tech is censoring us already. Our main uh, site has had an RSS for uh, goodness over a decade, fifteen oh, yeah. years. Yeah. You know, so that's that's already out there. All the, all you have to do is go to your RSS reader, Feedly or whatever, add a uh, a feed and just type in Alpha and Omega Ministries or AOMin dot org, and you're going to get it either way. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. So obviously the the big blog for larger articles. I'm trying to keep theology matters to about the size of a parlay, which is a thousand, maybe a little more. I'm a little surprised at how fast one thousand goes. Uh, it, 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 especially for me. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to keep it to like three paragraphs. Uh, is what I'm doing. In Theology matters, and you may have noted. So, so grab hold of that. I spread that news because I, I think it's very, very important. It's, we have to set up a way to communicate to people once big tech says you're not get to communicate with people. And uh, if you want to continue hearing from people who are not giving in to the cultural collapse, then you need to put out that effort to be able to do that and help other people to be able to put, you know, put that, that material out there. Um, so you'll notice that I think the very last Theology Matters I did uh, was about the relationship of the atonement with the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And... That was what was in the back of my mind, is that in the vast majority of discussions that we have about the historical reality of what the Lord's, how the Lord's Supper was viewed in the early church, and there is no one way. They like to pretend there's one way. There wasn't just one way. There were multiple ways. But any discussion of the Lord's Supper that is separated from a biblical doctrine of the atonement will automatically be separated from divine truth. It'll be based on something that's other than theodnostos, something other than God-breathed. And I pointed out something very, very important. You don't have any full-length treatises on the doctrine of the atonement until the 4th century. And even then, they're not what we would call overly balanced or, or strong as far as taking in the entirety of the biblical data, especially from the book of Hebrews. And so um, Jeff is currently in uh, Florida, and, and he contacted me and said, man, that, did you see that thing? I said, yeah. He says, we, we need to respond to it. Need to need to do a response to it and need to do it with, with high quality. So that's that's on the uh, that's on the agenda uh, to do, and uh, so we will we will be getting to that. But you've got um, Francis Chan has been making comments like this for quite some time now, and Francis Chan is a master's seminary graduate, master's college and master's seminary, uh, bachelor's and master's. And so he was platformed by a lot of people because of that. And hence, there's going to be more and more discussion. And I'll be honest, this is sort of like the situation with Norman Geisler back in 2000. You know, it's real easy to go, oh, man, so many people are going to be, you know, messed up by his redefinition of terms and stuff like that. No, it turned out to be a great thing. It turned out to be an opportunity to get people to think more deeply about these things and 
and whether Norm Geisler knows it or not, well, he knows it today, but whether he knew it or not in life, he, he made more Calvinists by writing Chosen at Free than, uh, than anybody else ever had. And so in the same way, uh, you're, you're seeing people talking about Eastern Orthodoxy, people talking about the Catholic Church, various rites within the Catholic Church. And I see in the presuppositional apologetics group on Facebook, I'm only a part of one, there may be more than one, I don't know. Uh, but I see a lot of people saying, boy, I'm hearing a lot about people talking about sola scriptura or justification by faith. And, and there are people like, oh, I've heard this person's converting. And look, the fact of the matter is Sam Shamoon is. It's pretty obvious. Um, he's got, uh, he had Trent uh, Horn on. And I would just remind everyone we should just link to the Apology Radio episode that Jeff and I did responding to Trent Horn on um, sola scriptura. But uh, he's been doing stuff with William Albrecht on Mary and, and all the rest of the type of stuff. And for years, Sam would do this. And when I would say, what are you doing? I'm stirring the pot, stirring the pot. Well, he's not stirring the pot. This, this is where he's going. I think, I think he needs to be straight up about it. I think he needs to just announce that to the world. This is where I'm going. This is, I don't believe in sola scriptura. I don't believe in sola fide. I don't, all that stuff I used to teach about Reformed theology. I don't believe any of that stuff anymore. I think he just needs to be straight up front. Uh, he doesn't have to be mean about it, but he just needs to be straight up front and just come straight out and say, this is where I am. Which then led this morning to someone sending me a link to a video that I had never seen. Um, I sent you, did you hear about it a year ago? See, I, I, this was all new to me. This is only 45 seconds. Um, this is Muhammad Hijab, uh, is, is, has some type of recorder device going on. I, I guess, is this YouTube or is this Facebook? It says live chat. You can't tell them all apart all that very well anymore. But anyways, this is, as far as I can tell, it's Muhammad Job typing in the comments. Um, and Sam Shamoon responding. And it's, it's one of Sam's videos. I did not see this. Sam knows this. If I had seen this, I would have said something to him about it. Because this is this is amazing. So this was pointed out to me. Here's what? Yeah. Yeah. Closer to the end of the year. Friend, because I'm gonna go into tense training to take you out. No, no, it's not too too long. I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna be in fighting shape because I'm gonna hurt you real bad. And that's a promise. I I promise you. Make sure you grow a couple more inches when I take you out. Oh, I, you, you can keep laughing. You can laugh when I first started listening to that, I when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, this is about uh, 
because when I when I saw this link, almost a year has passed. Let's arrange this. Let's see if you are a man of your word and if you're brave to claim. That was twelve hours ago, and so this this is current. So this is where the Muslims are saying, "Look, Muhammad Hijab's losing it," and it seems like he is. But, and that's current. This was De- December fifth, twenty nineteen. Well, so things weren't all good in December of 2019, but what's that? Yeah, yeah, I know, but it it seems like another lifetime ago, actually. Um, But when I first saw this, I'm like, oh, okay, so Muhammad Ijab is saying that Sam Shamoon won't debate him. And I started listening to it. It has nothing to do with debating. They're talking about having a fist fight. They're, They're literally talking about engaging in physical combat. And I'm just like, what? What? The, the man that, that has been uh, appropriately called the Assyrian Encyclopedia, who cannot see, because I've tried and he knows I've tried, I've tried with tears to try to get him to see how this kind of stuff destroys all that good stuff. It just, it just, it, it hands the other side every reason in the world to not listen to a word he has to say, because it, it vitiates it. it. It's, it's like, you know, you start off saying, "May the Lord Jesus Christ guide me by His grace," so on and so forth, and then if your next sentence is snake-filled poison, how are you, how are you representing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? It does not make a lick of sense, and the Muslims see it too. The Muslims see it, too. It's just... But uh, there you go. I, 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 don't even, I, I don't even know what to, what to say about something like that. Um, oh, okay. Okay, I have someone helping me since I have been, uh, since I have been moved away from the ability to uh, see certain people, such as Natalie... Yes, we're going to get to Leighton. Don't worry. No, no, Natalie's going to be in the middle. Uh, Okay, so uh, Natalie, who is the transgender guy, um, uh, writes, It is telling that James White seems more concerned that his followers would be reported for harassment and bigotry than he is about his followers harassing and being bigoted. Actually, if I had the opportunity of responding, my response would be, obviously, that this person has decided that any definition that is not controlled by him, he gets to define his reality over against science and reality, and mine. So if I say that calling you a woman is an insult to women... Real women, the women in my life, my wife, my mother, my daughter, if I say giving you the same title, the same honorific title, because we are to honor women. They are honorable. Even when we talk about Mary, she is what? She is praised amongst women. Not above them, but amongst them. 
So if I say calling you a woman is an insult to my wife, my daughter, and my mother, and all those who've come before them, that's bigotry. You are, you are claiming the sole right and authority of, of defining bigotry by your own self-definition. And isn't that what you're all about? Isn't that what this is all about? You see, for a society to exist, we have to recognize that we don't get to define objective truth. It exists outside of us. You've lost that ability. You've lost that ability. It appears reformed James White followers have found out. Okay, that's the one that I, that I, she's saying, please feel, he is saying, please feel free to report. Um, James White followers defending genocide of indigenous peoples by the American government by saying, well, ancient Israel did it too. And I guess this is a, there's, there's a, there's two quotations from numbers. So I guess numbers is, I can't see it because I can't click on it. It's a screenshot, so I can't click on it to see what the rest of it is. One's numbers 23-1. Um, I can't see what the rest of them are. Some James White followers, though, prefer the more straightforward transphobic route when someone dares to criticize their American God. And so there's a screen capture of someone who had said, that's a dude, because someone had referred to him as a woman. And so, you know, this is the great sin of transgendering. Uh, thanks to uh, the individual who sent those to, I won't get you in trouble, <laughs> get, get your Twitter feed uh, uh, trashed and reported by the fact that you sent that to me. But I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. So um, anyway, okay, let's get to what we've been saying we're going to get to here, if I can find it after all this time. Uh, so when I first saw this, and I need to make sure that we're ready to dive into this. When I, when I first saw this, I, I knew what it was referring to. I, if I hadn't gotten a response back, I would have still talked about it, but I would have had to have said, you know, it's possible. Once again, here is the unsolicited, freely posted statement from Leighton Flowers under his Soteriology 101 account. Um, If a girl says to a Calvinist, no one can come to my party unless my dad invites him and I will give them a piece of cake. Does the Calvinist conclude everyone invited to the party will necessarily come. I'm asking for a friend. So as I said, my response was to quote John 644 from Greek and say, given the sentence structure, surely you're attempting to parallel John 644. Yes? I didn't get a response initially. Then someone else posted something else that Soteriology 101 said that pretty much answered the question which was this comment. Some of you, this is Leighton, some of you are expressing disagreement of the word invites. But what if I said calls instead? Don't get cut up with the term, but consider the potential meaning of the term. Given that Jesus himself says enable in verse 65 demonstrates that draws doesn't necessarily connote effectuality. There's the argument. There's the key. 
There's the key. Verse 65 can only be John 6, 65, so therefore this is John 6, 44. Then eventually, Leighton did get around and said, well, or at least that I found, um, this one might be more clear if you wish to engage Dr. White, but why not do it in person on the program together? Because we already did that and we saw what you did. Here's his, now here's his, uh, how does he put it, more clear example? Then why didn't you do this at the start? No man can come to my wedding banquet unless the king calls, slash, invites, slash, draws, slash, enables him, all caps, the hymns in all caps, and I will raise him, all caps, up on the last day. Now, for a number of years now, we have been pointing out, and many people have seen it. I saw a great tweet, um, I think this morning or last night, I think this morning from a a fellow who said, uh, you know, I was really into the Soteriology 101 stuff, but it left me absolutely defenseless to all of the Roman Catholic, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, all that stuff. You know, the, the lack of exegesis, the allegorical stuff, this left me defenseless. I'm very thankful that I found Reformed theology and, and, and found a, a way of defending against that. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But either example, I, I want to walk through them, and I want to illustrate what the primary problem is with provisionism as it is being defined and regularly promoted by Leighton Flowers. I don't see anybody else doing it in a leadership position. Um, Leighton, I think, did like three hours in response to the last dividing line where I went through some of his stuff. He just cranks this stuff out. It is his job. He's well, this is evangelism for Texas Baptists. <laughs> evangelism for Texas Baptists is watching the dividing line and responding to the dividing line. That's that's how you evangelize in Texas. Um, actually, it's immunization against Calvinism is what, what his primary job is. But what you have here is, we have, we have said, he uses analogies. It's like this. It's like that. Exegesis isn't his thing. That drawing your beliefs directly from the living text in its context is the power of sound theology. Walking through a text. Walking through Romans 8 28 through Romans 9.25 without having to jump out here and jump out there and jump over here and jump on. Following the argument through is the, is the great power. It, that has nothing to do with me. It doesn't have to do with anybody else. It is what the soul of the redeemed believer longs for. And that's why you just keep doing it. And then you just trust it. And when you see people going away, you see, I had this one guy say to me, 
uh, well, you know, I just listened to Leighton Flowers and found out you don't know what you're talking about. And I, and I said, ah, you must be Choice Meats, <laughs> you know? And he's like, well, that was a really childish thing to say. And I felt like saying, yes, Choice Meats was a very childish thing to say. I, I, I would agree with that. But just, you know, whatever. Fine. You, you don't, it doesn't bother you. You just simply keep doing what you're doing because you know you can walk through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, verse by verse by verse by verse consistently. You can do all of the sixth chapter of John, verse by verse by verse consistently. You don't have to jump here, jump there, jump to boop, 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 boop. Oh, over here, let's bring this in. Oh, let's bring it in. That is how you can tell. Because people are always saying, yeah, but you know, you know Greek and he knows Greek and you know Hebrew and he knows Hebrew and, and this guy over here knows uh, this and, and how's anybody like me ever supposed to know? Well, it might take you longer, but you know by the consistency, the consistency over time. Who can walk through Ephesians 1 without having to run out of it every third word to come up with an analogy to redefine the meaning? Who can just simply... This is what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. This is what they would have understood. This is what the words mean. This is what the grammar says. Who can do that? And who can do that in John 6? So, here's the point. John 6, does not stand on its own. Every time we've gone through John chapter 6, what have we demonstrated? That there is a consistent thread of meaning and usage that this analogy breaks and ignores. Because the consistent understanding and interpretation goes back to the fact that Jesus is talking to Jews who are, th- this whole conversation is prompted by the fact that they have seen his miracles. He has left. They've now followed him. They've rowed boats across a lake to find him. And it's really cool. I was just sitting here going, Yeah, they had been over there, and they rode over to here. And I'm seeing exactly where that is in Capernaum, and exactly where they would have landed, and that's exactly where I talked about John chapter 6. That was so neat. I hope hope we get a chance to do it next year. Really, really, really hope that we do, but who knows what the travel situation is going to be, but we're trying. Um, they, They are seeking Jesus, and Jesus says, you don't believe. He's explaining their unbelief. And in explaining their unbelief, he introduces certain categories. So the ones that the Father gives him, they're the ones he raises up on the last day. Now, that's a part of what we have in John chapter 6. That the, it, and I will raise him up at the last day. Where is the parallel to getting a piece of birthday cake? To the real John 6.44 which is within a few sentences of John 6.37 and John 6.39. There is none because he can't deal with John 6 in this way. And he knows it. He knows it. He knows he has to run off here and there. He can't walk straight through. The words don't mean the things he tells you they mean. So, as soon as I saw this analogy, I'm like, okay, No one can come to me. What has been defined as coming 
to Jesus before this. The Jews are grumbling. They're grumbling about Jesus' claims about himself. We, this, is, this is just the carpenter's son. This is what, what is he claiming for himself? What, 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 what is all this about? He's, he's actually said that all the Father gives me will come to me. Where's the parallel to that in this analogy? Because the ones coming to him are given by the Father. So, how do, you, how do you parallel that with whoever the Father invites to a birthday party? That's not coming in faith. There's no issues of sin here. No, nothing. It is so absurdly ridiculous that most people, it's so absurdly ridiculous that most people just look at it and they can sense the absurdity, but they're not sure how, how exactly to identify what the absurdity is. But it is taking John 6.44 and isolating it from John 6.36 and what comes before and after it. That's, now, he knows he can't do that. That's why he goes to John 6.65 and wants to try to come up with a way of making the drawing ineffectual. This is, this is the sad and horrific thing about provisionism, is you, you have to understand their doctrine of the atonement, their doctrine of the calling— has to be ineffectual. There has to be room for Christ to fail to save those he wants to save. There has to be room for Christ to fail to save those the Father has given to him. There has to be room for the Father to fail in drawing people unto Jesus. Because autonomy, man's will must be autonomous. That's what it's, de- that's what it's designed to uh, defend, and so man's will must be autonomous. So, all these things, even though you have the specific statement of Jesus, I've come down out of heaven, not do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he's given me, I lose none, but raise them up on the last day. I lose none of them. Absolute, effectual work on the part of Jesus. By the time you get to verse 44, we've got to find a way to... No, no, that's... it. He tries. He tries. But man's will. Man's almighty will. So, the being raised up the last day is not parallel to a piece of birthday cake. Being raised up the last day has already been defined previously as the work of the Son in saving those given by the Father, and that is receiving eternal life. The drawing of the Father, then, the key issue here, even in the language that is used, is does the Calvinist conclude everyone invited to the party will necessarily come? So what he's doing there is he is inserting a distinction between coming to the party and the assertion, no one can come to my party unless my dad invites them. Hmm. So, no one can come to the party unless my dad invites them. So what he wants to do is he wants to make the verb that is found in John chapter 6. Now, there, by the way, there has been some discussion about that just recently. Halkuse, some Calvinists, I think, go overboard because 
the the verb is used when Peter draws the net up onto the shore. That's the same verb. And so that is an extension of power, and it is effective and efficient. Peter did not stand on the edge of the water and go, Here, fishy, 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 come on, fishy, fishy, come on, flop on up here. That's not what he was doing. He was not wooing. And he did not invite the fish onto the shore. That's true. No question about it. But you don't have to say that the best translation is drag. Because the assertion is no one is able. See, that's what's missing here. There is an inability in man that has been removed from the analogy. Because the reason you can't come to the party is because daddy says you can't. That's not what John 6.44 is saying. John 6.44 says you lack the ability to come to me. There is something wrong with you. That's why the drawing has to be effective. What if the analogy was that the father sends an invitation to a quadriplegic, but then doesn't provide any way for him to get there? Oops. Not a very effective invitation, is it? The whole idea is you can't have Helcuse draw, be an efficient, powerful, effective, God-ordained action. It simply has to be a provision. Because that's what provisionism is. Provisionism replaces the power of God with, a, with possibilities fulfilled by the power of man. Catch that? Provisionism replaces the power of God with provisions that are fulfilled by the power of man. I've said from day one, this is God-centeredness versus man-centeredness. And every time that they try to get around it, they only prove the point. They only prove the point. Now, what is interesting is that other quote. I'm just going to move this over this screen so I can see both of them at the same time. Um, about John 6.65. Uh, don't get caught up with the term, but consider the potential meaning of the term. Potential. Got it? We don't... One thing is absolutely certain. Um, when, when he tries to get... Have I been on this for a long time or did you just do that? Oh, okay. Well, I'm, the text is over here. I was just moving out of there. Um, the... Um, like when he was dealing with Genesis 50, when he did the debate on, on Unbelievable, what did you hear? Well, it could be this. It could be that. This is not... It's, it's like when you're dealing with Molinism. Well, it could be this. It could be that. Potential here. Potential there. Not derived from the text. Leaves you with anything. So, um, given that Jesus himself says enable in verse 65, demonstrates that draws doesn't necessarily connote effectuality. Let's see if that's the case. Well, first of all, well, yeah, let's go to 65, then we can come back. Let's see if that's the case. John 6, 65. Um, 664 says, but there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Oh, it sounds like there's some sovereignty of God here. Sounds like there's some sovereign decree. Then verse 65, and he was saying, now, now, have you noticed that's in the imperfect? And the imperfect means that he was repeating this. He was saying this over and over again. Dia tuta, for this reason, I reka humin, I said to you. So he's pointing them back to verse 44. Udais dunatai elthine pros may. No one is able to come to me. Now, can we just be honest here? Provisionism does not believe this. The whole essence of provisionism is everybody has the ability. Everybody has the capacity. All they need to hear is the invitation. But they all have the ability, and these people had heard it. That's not what Jesus is referring to. He says, no one has the ability to come to me. Ion me a dedamenon auto ectu patras. Unless it has been given to him by the Father. Now, if he wants to say, well, that, that means enabled. What is that supposed to mean? Is that prevenient grace? You don't believe in prevenient grace. You're, the whole basis of your assertion is that we have the capacity, the free will, the autonomy outside of the extension of any grace to respond to a gracious message calling for repentance. So why does it have to be given? Even if you translate enabled, why do you have to be enabled? Are you saying that it's the gospel message that enables, that there's something, it, it, are you trying to, to turn unless it has been given to him from the Father? Well, who has it been given from the Father, according to John 6? According to John 6, 37, all the Father gives me will come to me. You have the Father giving those who come to him. You've got it upside down and backwards. You've got it upside down and backwards. You can't escape this. So, the Eon in 665 is the Father granting something, giving something, that is then described back in 644 as the drawing, and then the mechanism is described for us. That's what people miss. That's why I've tried to emphasize this. Don't deal with John 644 without dealing with John 645. It is written in the prophets, they shall all didactoi theo, theu, be taught by God. This is how the drawing takes place. They, are, they shall all be taught by God, Pas ha akusas para tu patras kai mathon erkatai pras eme. Everyone hearing from the Father and learning comes unto me. This is an effective divine act. To change this into, well, this is just a gospel proclamation and it's all up to us, turns the text upside down. It voids it of meaning. 
it makes it say the exact opposite of what it is saying. Think about it. They shall all be taught of God. Jesus is saying this text is being fulfilled in what God the Father is doing in drawing his people unto me. They shall all be taught of God. That's being drawn to the Son, the revelation of the Son. The one hearing from the Father. Do all hear from the Father? If you're turning this into simple gospel proclamation, if you ignore the fact that in the golden chain of redemption, there is a calling that is effective. All who are called are justified. You're saying all are called. And if you do not have an effective calling, does not make a lick of sense. But this is perfectly consistent in Reformed theology because here is the effective call. Learning. Hearing from the Father. This is exactly what is being described in the effective call in Romans chapter 8. Same thing. That's why 645 is where it is. You want to know what it means to be drawn to the Son? Why is it that all who are drawn by the Father? And that's the key. That's the key. Once again, I had a nice conversation, and I appreciated this. I've had a couple conversations, and I do try to mention this once in a while, I had a couple conversations on Twitter recently that actually went well. That there was actually hearing ears. And that's neat. That's nice. But a fellow said he had called into the program, didn't understand my response, so we started doing some stuff back and forth. I wrote a fair amount on Twitter yesterday. He even posted a sentence diagramming of John 644, which I appreciated. It wasn't accurate, but I appreciated the effort that he put into it. And because he did it, I was able to point. You notice you have these two broken? You know why they're broken? Because it's, it's broken at the point where you're struggling with what John 6.44 says. And what it was, was the hymn. No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me, Helkuse Auton, Auton, the accusative singular, him, direct object of the verb. It draws him. Kaga Anastaso, future, I will raise Alton him up in the last day. Why are you looking at me? Okay, the look on your face was, I wonder if he's going to look at Twitter and find out we crashed. We're good. All right. We're all fine here now. Okay. Just don't put that look on your face. Because um, I can see your face because you're not wearing a mask. Um, and I will raise him up on the last day. There is no distinction between these two. You destroy the sentence structure. Auton is functioning appositively. That is, it is renaming the same hymn. The hymn that is drawn is the hymn that is raised up on the last day, which is eternal life. That means those that are drawn are raised up on the last day. These are divine, effective actions. Provisionism denies this and destroys it. Destroys it. That's why they have to fight this. They can't. They can't. It's not possible. Now, Leighton, you keep talking about, let's do a program together. Look, I'm tired of your analogies and I'm tired of your allegories, but I will do this with you. We'll do a debate. Only thing you can use is the Greek text. Only thing you can use is the Greek text. How about it? Well, that's not fair. No, it is fair. John 6, nothing but the Greek text. Because you cannot walk through this. And I'm not talking about your abilities or inabilities in Greek. You do say Dr. Leighton Flowers, right? You are the head of evangelism for Texas Baptist, right? 
Let me tell you something. When I taught for a Southern Baptist seminary, if I taught you through second year Greek, you could do this. You could do this. My second year Greek students could do it. Why can't you? And you know why you won't do this? Because you can't. And you know you can't. When you are so completely dependent on analogesis, allegorygesis, well, it's sort of like birthday cake and a dad at a birthday party. No, it's not. No, it's not. And what I'll do is I'll say, okay, give me, we'll, we'll do half an hour, because you complained that our debate, well, I, I couldn't, I can't exegete Romans 9 in 20 minutes like you did. We'll do half an hour. We'll do half an hour, and you give, and we will start. All this will be. You want to do this right? All this will be is John chapter 6 alone. That's all you can do. You can't bring anything else in. I can make sense of John chapter 6 from verse 1 to the very end. Walk straight through it. You cannot. Your beliefs will not allow you to do it. You have traditions, Leighton, that destroy your ability to walk through the text and allow it to speak for itself. That is a fact. And this analogy, this allegory, demonstrated. Demonstrated. So you get to answer all the phones around here, right? So th- has this been a great program for you? Or are you really looking forward to... Uh... This has been wonderful. Put your, put your, pee, I, your I piece in. I can hear you. Yeah, I know. So um, I, I have a slightly different uh, take on, on Dr. Flower's approach here. Uh, because as soon as I heard uh, this analogy, I instantly realized there's no possible way that Dr. Flowers could ever have been a Calvinist. Well. Because anybody, any young man who's a Calvinist knows what happens when a girl asks a Calvinist to her birthday party. Okay? I don't think I need to say more. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I, I, I had not thought about Thank you. Thank you, Rich, for demonstrating to all with a brilliant analysis uh, why Leighton Flowers did give clear evidence that he was never a Calvinist because he was invited to birthday parties by girls. Because <laughs> the, the Calvinist is that... What is that one meme where that, there's that one guy... And he's he's sitting on a swing, and he's you can just tell he's sort of depressed and sad, and they've got him s- sitting at a table or something like that. And yeah, that's that's the Calvinist trying to date, as you well knew, <laughs> as I saw for years. It's just so sad. And I kept trying to tell you, Rich, don't start with Romans nine, not on the first date, dude. Don't remember that because you did. Remember that one girl? You 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 even admitted. You were, in, you were still in the cage stage back then, and uh, you start with Romans 9, that first one. So you, there you go. Oh, by the way, before we wrap up, two, two, two real quick things. The current issue of Jets, I hope to have time tonight. Man, the print is small in these things. I, I cannot literally read this right now. I have to put on reading glasses. That's sad. Anyway, uh, there is a, um article that I want to get to that looks really interesting because when I looked at it, 
it really did look like it uh, was going to come from the right direction. And that is uh, uh, Stephen Sakalas. Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Use of predicates and homoousios as foundational to the answer. That could be really good. At least I hope it is. I saw him respond, responding to Volk and some other people uh, in it. And so I, yeah, Wolf, Wolf, sorry. Uh, and I responded to Wolf. When was that? 2010, something like that. It's been been quite some time. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that'll be good. And then Craig Keener has Greek versus Jewish conceptions of inspiration in 2 Timothy 3.16. That looks really interesting, too. So a couple of articles there that I want to... Uh, they look interesting in jest. And then look at what uh, what came in the mail. Uh, this tells us that uh, what every Christian needs to know about the Quran is now available uh, in audiobook form. So I am assuming uh, that it uh, this is um, two words, uh, audiobooks, audio productions, uh, eight hours, 45 minutes. That You know, that's interesting. That's about... When I converted to MP3, computer voice, it was about, about, about that long. Um, I'm assuming it's available on Audible. I, I forgot to look, but um, we appreciate uh, two words for putting, uh, putting this out. And um, I wonder how they handled some of the Arabic. <laughs> uh, that, that's interesting. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Uh, I generally don't listen to my own books, but um, I might, that one, uh, now that it's in a human voice rather than the digital voice that I'm normally listening to. So be looking for that. If uh, that's a book you've wanted to get to and you're more into the audible stuff, that's um, that's out there. All right. So we got through just at a low 480p. Well, hey, I play videos at four. Yeah, that's better than crashing and burning like we did for the first half hour. So um, appreciate you listening. We will, like I said, got a lot going on tomorrow, so I'm not going to be able to do a program tomorrow, but we'll see you next week. God bless.